Westworld Season 1, Episode 8, Trace Decay is over, but we're just getting started talking about it here on Post Show Recaps. It's the Welcome to Westworld podcast here on Post Show Recaps. I'm Josh Wiggler. This is Joe Garfine, and much like Wyatt, we will need you soon, a.k.a. right now. Joe, let's talk about some Westworld. Wyatt or Arnold, whatever they're the same person. Man, I'm telling you, we are eight episodes into this 10-episode season, and my mind is a whirling dervish. A whirling dervish? A dervish? Is it dervish or dervish? I think it's a V. I think it's a V. I think it's the V. I also think it's a V. Uh, I'm a whirling wiggler. That is what I am right now. <laughs> I am I am also confounded by the Westworld, although I think this episode did shine a light on a few things, clarified a few theories, still feeling really good about two of the bigger theories that are out there right now. I think those are still very much in play, even though there's some doubt about that from some of the people who have written into us. Hopefully we'll clarify a bit of that. This week, probably not, you know, as much of a, you know, a, a bombshell as what we got last week with the big Bernard reveal at the end of episode seven. I don't think that there was quite as big of a like, oh my God type of moment in this episode, but a very solid episode that I think pushed a lot of pieces on the board further along. I think that this was a, a really strong chess pieces episode that pushed a lot of these mysteries into places where we're much closer to an answer. I think it really set the table for the final two episodes. That's right. Yeah, I agree. So, I, I you know, it, it is confounding, but I, I enjoy it very much. I like, I really enjoy the fact that we, as much as we are theorizing along with, you know, hundreds, potentially thousands of others uh, across the globe about Westworld, I think it's being... I'm very impressed with the, the the maze that they have. Actually, the show is a maze for us to, and a puzzle for us to put together. And I'm not sure by the end if it's going to be complete. No. Okay. So that's a great place to start. And first of all, before you go any further, of course, as always, hope you guys have already watched Trace Decay because we're going to get into full tilt spoiler mode here in just a second for everything that happened through episode eight. So make sure you've watched that before you listen any further. We got a lot of great feedback to get through this week. If you have not figured out how to get your feedback into us, plenty of ways to do that. Westworld at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. You can also hit us up on our feedback form, postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. All right. So I think a fun place to start based on what you just said, Joe, about I don't know if the picture is going to be clear by the end of this thing is uh, we got, you know, there's, this is a show that's wrapped in questions. Uh, there's, there's so many questions, very few answers sometimes. Feels very familiar to us Lost fans. This is the relationship <laughs> we've been in in the past. And somehow, some way, I guess we're just masochistic in this way that we like this. Uh, but a lot of questions surrounding Westworld right now. So many questions, uh, many of which, 20 questions, Joe, came to us from one listener this week. 20 <laughs> questions from a single listener from Carrie McCrew. Uh, they're quick hit questions, and I actually think that it's a pretty good place to start, where Carrie wrote in and said, last week we got we got one answer about Bernard. I'm going to need more than one answer per episode for these next three. How many of these questions can the show realistically address by season's end? I've started out with good specific questions at the top and a little bit more general toward the end. Uh, so Carrie sent this in right before episode eight had aired these are the questions that carrie has asked who grabbed elsie and why seems like we got at least a partial answer on that this week joe uh we saw bernard flashing to a vision of elsie which should have us elsie fans colin stone especially feeling very nervous right now 
I'm very sad. I just hope that she's alive somewhere doing something awesome. We'll talk about that. Uh, the second question, will Teresa be replaced with a host, or how else will they cover up her disappearance? That's been answered, Joe. Uh, Teresa is not being replaced with a host. It is very much known throughout Westworld that Teresa is dead. Long live Teresa. Long live Teresa. R.I.P. Teresa. Uh, next question, will we see the Teddy versus Wyatt showdown? That's TBD. What's at the end of Dolores and William's journey? Also TBD. What happened with Dolores and the man in black in the barn? Also TBD. What happened with Maeve and the man in black and her child? Answer. Boom. We got an Oof. answer. Got an answer Brutal. on that one. Doing all Brutal. right. Three answers so far. Uh, then of the rest of her questions, no answers uh, currently, just to give you the spoilers. What happened to okay. in the graveyard? Will Maeve's escape plan work? Uh, what is the new narrative? All these questions. But I think for, for the fact that you sent in, t- in 20 questions, Carrie, uh, before the episode even aired, we still got two more hours after this one, and three of those questions were decided or close to decisively answered. I feel like that's okay. You know, that's not bad for a show that's only eight episodes into its run into hopefully its very long run where this is going to be a show that will last for a few seasons. Um, so I think, you know, certain questions like, what are the true stakes in the struggle for control of the park is one of Carrie's questions, her last question. That's like the, you know, that's like the Jacob and the smoke monster type of thing. Like that's going to be, you know, really clarified, I think, much further along in Westworld. I don't think we're going to get answers to questions like that. But I think like character mysteries, um, things that have been set up in terms of who is the man in black. I think we're getting those answers. I expect we get those answers this season. Um, some of the bigger picture questions, we're going to have to wait as we chug along through Westworld. But I think to say that Westworld isn't giving us any answers isn't fair to the show. I think that the show is actually giving us quite a bit. Um, maybe leaving it to, to watchers to piece the puzzle together a little bit, but that's part of the fun, I think. I think that there's a lot of information that the show is throwing at us. I It's interesting to watch how people experience this show. I think you and I manage our expectations when it comes to answers and, and wanting answers because of Lost and every show since that we've been in love with. So I... I by the way, gold star for 20 questions, Carrie. Oh, Carrie, <laughs> Carrie killed it. It was great. It was a very was, good very good email. It made me really happy when it came through. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that kind of interactivity and feedback. And I have no lists of questions because I'm trying to, while I'm watching, watching it the initial time, to watch it unfold, to record the podcast with you, and then afterward watch them all in order. And I think then I'll have a clearer picture of if there are any lingering questions, what my expectations would be for season two. Yeah, I think what's going to be really fun here is as we're approaching the finale um you know after after 109 after the penultimate uh going back and re-watching episodes so that you're really fresh for the finale and then waiting for some sort of bomb to drop in the finale that's going to make you want to go back immediately and re-watch everything you just re-watched absolutely i mean i'm looking <laughs> i mean we are coming up on like holiday break time like there's never been a better time to just go back and re-watch the thing you just spent the past 10 weeks watching and maybe the, the linear timelines will become more clear. And I don't think we're going to get that kind of um, clarity by the end of this season. Oh, I I'm disagree. More... I disagree. Really? Yeah, I think we will. Oh, I love it. Okay. I, I'm interested in things like I would like to know why the man in black doesn't have a name. And it's because I still believe that he's connected to someone running Westworld. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, we'll talk through all of those things in this week's podcast. There's a few big stories that are going on in terms of the timeline. I think we'll really uh, I would love to talk about that. Because I'm feeling more confident in a couple of theories than ever before, Joe. Uh, every week I'm feeling more and more confident about this Man in Black and William connection, the Bernardold of it all. I'm feeling pretty good about these theories. 
me too. I'm still a little bit confused about the different timelines in and out if there are different versions of hosts. All right. Where do you want to start this week? Which is the which is the biggest topic for you? Do you want to start with the first first story that we get in this episode, which is continuing the Bernard thing? Do you want to talk through Bernard now or is there another place you'd like to start? I think we start with Bernard and end with Maeve because right. Maeve is that's so Maven. That's so Maven. Oh my God, that's very good. Yeah, no, she. I've been, I've been waiting to say that. Yes, uh, terrific stuff from her this week. So we'll talk through everything going on with Maeve. We'll hold off on that for a little bit later into the podcast. But let's start with Bernard. Let's start with the fact that uh, Bernard is uh, he's you know he's clearly reeling from this huge huge reveal that happens at the end of episode seven, where he now realizes he's a host. He's very emotional about it. Ford is very calm about it. Ford is telling Bernard that he should be proud of these feelings that he's feeling, considering that he is basically the co-architect of these feelings, that Bernard was built specifically to help Ford figure out all of the spectrum of emotion that you could imbue inside of one of these hosts. Uh, So it's kind of ironic from Ford's perspective that Bernard himself is feeling these emotions. It's the first actual emotion we've seen. He's pretty, like, he's pretty even killed, killed. And, uh, you know, Jeffrey Wright played him that way, uh, I think by design after the first episode when he found out that he was going to be, uh, a host. And I, I think his performance is, is nuanced and rather brilliant. And I was very surprised, uh, that, Ford had sort of programmed any kind of level of that kind of emotion and that it's the first time we saw it when he was talking about Teresa. Yeah, I think I think really, you know, it's a combination of Teresa. I mean, I don't want to downplay Teresa. I don't know how much, you know, I don't think it was like a star-crossed lovers type of thing between Bernard and Teresa. I think they had a really good situation. I think that they were very happy to be in each other's company, but I don't get the sense that Bernard was deeply in love with this woman, uh, necessarily. I don't think that this was like the end-all be-all. I don't think that they were each other's constants in lost parlance. Uh, (laughs) But I I think that what you're getting from Bernard is certainly it's somebody he cared about deeply, uh, but I think that he's just horrified at what he's done, at the fact that he's killed a human being, um, an act that he certainly probably believed was beyond him, but an act that he would not have committed if not for the fact that he was made to commit it. Uh, So that's very, very heavy stuff for Bernard to be dealing with right in this moment until it's not because Ford can just shut that emotional affect off and wipe those memories clean. We're going to get a Bernard by the end of this episode who has no recollection of not only what he did to Teresa, but of the relationship. The relationship is completely scrubbed from his memory. It's it's such a fascinating concept. Um, I'm thinking of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, the film with Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet, where you know she wanted to forget him forever, so she goes to someone to get her memory erased of that single person. And I think that you know that that's happening now on this show. And right before he gets shut down, he asks if he's ever been forced to hurt someone else, and he has that flash of, of grabbing Elsie. Yes. Do you think that there is, you know, they always say they don't get fully swiped, their memory. So do you think that the that's going to be an advantage for Bernard moving forward, even though Ford ha- seemingly has control, that Bernard will gain some back? 
Well, I think I think the Bernard story, it's curious about what does he know right now? You know, how much does he know? He's fairly, you know, he's he's clearly he goes and, and does Ford's bidding. He wipes all memories of his connections to Teresa or Teresa, as Ford <laughs> likes to say. I don't know if anyone else caught that. I just thought that the way that Anthony Hopkins said Teresa was very bizarre. Uh, anyway, so Bernard has wiped all of his connections to Teresa. Uh, but he does he does he know that he's a host? still like even though his mind has been scrubbed of killing Teresa and having this partnership with Teresa has Ford also scrubbed his mind of the fact that he is a host like when he's having his conversation conversation with Ashley Stubbs later in the episode with Triple H with Luke Hemsworth does he know that he is a host like does he know what he truly is in that moment or is that Bernard just being Bernard in that moment like a Bernard that has no memory of the Teresa thing but is it just Bernard who also has no memory of the host thing so i'm i'm still confused exactly about what bernard knows about his current existence i think that that's really a big question if we're talking about like what are advantages in bernard's corner right now clearly he's got an awesome physiology and he's you know a specimen because he's a robot and he's got great potential in that regard but does he know he's a robot still or is it just something that now we're in the no one and something that i would suspect that ashley's about to figure out yeah, I mean, Ashley was very uh, suspicious, and, and rightly so, um, but Bernard was back to being even-keeled Bernard. Um, it's just that what he was saying was kind of odd because everyone sort of knew about their not-so-secret relationship, Teresa and Bernard's. I think it's a good point. I mean, why would he – why would Ford allow Bernard to operate knowing he is a host now? Like, I don't feel like there would be any advantages to that, just disadvantages. It would seem so. Uh, it doesn't seem like there would be a great advantage to that. Um, but But I think for – for Bernard, when when you have that scene with Stubbs and Stubbs is confronting him, and I, I love that I love that detail because Ashley says it's my job to know everything. Uh, so clearly he had seen footage of Teresa and Bernard together or something, but he he had to know what their relationship was. He is the head of security; it's his it's his responsibility to know, to know all of that. Um, so no amount of cleaning the connections to Teresa are going to be able to wipe memories that another human being has. That's assuming that Stubbs himself is not a host, which, of course, we have to suspect that every single person on this show is probably a host uh, because that's the level of paranoia that this show inspires. (laughs) I don't think that that's actually what's happening, but I know that Stubbs is somebody that is often looked at as a host candidate like somebody who has potential to be a host so that could possibly be if that if that's in the air you know that could be a direction that this story goes or like Stubbs knows that bernard that something is weird with him because he knows factually that bernard and Teresa had a relationship bernard is unequivocally denying it right now he's also being a little bit weird about elsie which we'll talk about in a second uh so Stubbs is going to figure something out he's smart enough he's going to go down that rabbit hole especially since we don't currently have elsie in the game to do that for us you know she's wherever she is hopefully still alive so you have to imagine that Stubbs is going to be the guy who's looking into Bernard's situation but if Stubbs himself were to turn out to be a host that would be a quick fix for Ford and for Bernard so a few different possible directions this can go but I'm excited that Hemsworth is getting a real storyline it seems like I know and yet I was like oh I probably should add him to my death pool yeah Yeah, I feel but, I feel like that's the kind of thing that leads you straight to a to an early grave. 
I will say about Elsie, I had a little bit of a theory, which is that maybe Bernard Ford had Bernard grab her because she's also host and needed to be reconfigured. Yeah. By the way, I just uh, went back to consult our death pool, Joe, and you do have stubs. So this is... Oh, yes. Yes, this is good. I actually have Sylvester, and I was so close. I was so close <laughs> this week. You. I was so close this week. Uh, just to reset the death draft that Joe and I have done, uh, whoever has people... We have three people on our team each, and we score a point for each... Each character that does not survive the season. So far, nobody has drawn blood. Uh, Joe has Logan, Teddy, and Stubbs. I have Sizemore, Ford, and Sylvester. I guess I drew blood this week. And Teddy kind of was bleeding out a little bit as well. Uh, but I think you, I think that you might clean me out on this one. <laughs> I guess we'll see or not. Yeah, given where the story is right now, I feel really good about, uh, about your odds here. I think that that's pretty good. Um, do you think that Bernard killed Elsie? We do see this flash. We see this moment before Bernard is fully wiped, and he asks Ford, have you ever made me hurt anybody like this ever before? And Ford's like, no, of course not. No way, dude. <laughs> and then he starts wiping him, and Bernard immediately remembers choking Elsie. Uh this is not great. I don't think she's dead because they would have showed it, shown it or, or, you know, I feel like she serves a greater purpose in Ford's game. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that would be. I mean, I know that there are, there are some questions about, is it possible that, that Elsie is going to be the secret host that Ford has been designing? A lot of people who are still focused on that host body that's being developed in the basement when Bernard kills Teresa. Uh, Inessa had written in about that. Arphilia is still wondering about who is that body. Uh, and I know that some people are wondering if that could be Elsie. So do you think that that's a way that we could see Elsie back in the show if Bernard killed Elsie actually, and Elsie is now back in the mix as a host instead of as a human? I don't think that that host being created is Elsie, but I like the idea that Elsie is already a host and she was created literally as Ford's millennial. She gives, she has zero Fs to give. Ford's she's, millennial. <laughs> That's funny. She, she's the, the millennial host, the one who, you know, the, she questions authority to draw attention away from him and his malicious plan that he has in place. Yeah. I like and, that. you know, I just, I just, I maybe because I love Shannon Woodward and I don't want Elsie off the show. I still don't believe that she's being recreated. I believe she's alive. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I feel like, I feel like to kill Elsie the way that she would have been killed off in that moment, to like have it happen off screen and somehow Bar- Bernard's gonna have to remember what he did to Elsie. Uh, I mean, there's a way that that pays off well dramatically and that that works and that that's, you know, a really great moment on the show, uh, if that is exactly what has happened. But I feel like there's more story to Elsie. I think that there's more potential. She really is, she's, she's served as kind of like, as, as we know now, that Bernard is a host. She's sort of been our human eyes and ears in the behind the scenes of Westworld. So I would, I would really like to see her continue on. Um, and I just, I think that that would be too much to throw up Bernard to have that done off screen. Um, that being said, in terms of like, logically, unless Bernard is operating on someone else's orders, I don't know why Ford would want Elsie unless for whatever this new narrative that Ford is working on with all of these different hosts, he's going to need Elsie's participation. And if that's under duress because Bernard is like choking her into unconsciousness and then bringing her to a remote diagnostic facility where she can work behavior on some of these new hosts, uh, like, a, like a, I don't, I don't know. I was going to make a breaking bad comparison, but I don't want to spoil <laughs> breaking bad, but like, 
like how a certain character toward the end of that show might be forced to do something against their will. Like, could could Elsie be forced into helping to manufacture hosts against her will? I think that that's, for me right now, that's the charitable read on what Bernard would be doing with Elsie that wouldn't be just outright killing her. Counterpoint. What if Elsie's working for Charlotte Hale? Um, well, how would that work out? Because she was investigating Teresa, who was working for Charlotte Hale, unless their signals just were not crossed at all, that they just didn't know about each other. Uh, how, how would Elsie be in the mix of Charlotte without already knowing that Teresa was in, in bed with Charlotte here? Maybe I don't I haven't you know, put the puzzle pieces together yet, but I'm just thinking that maybe Elsie, you know, I just thinking that Charlotte and Elsie seem around the same age. Mm. You know, there's a lot of youthful leadership and people in strong positions within the Westworld HQ. I'm just wondering if she was eyes and ears for her and she that that Charlotte knew about the complicity. She knew about Teresa's complicity. I would like to see Elsie and Charlotte in a scene together. That much yes. is for sure. I, yeah, another reason to keep Elsie alive, because I think Tessa Thompson and Shannon Woodward in the same scene is going to be a really good scene. So let's keep Tessa, her alive. Yes, please. Tessa Thompson is tremendous. I love her in this role. She's she's really good. I have some questions about Charlotte Hale this week that I'm not... <laughs> I'm not thrilled. I'm not thrilled with uh, almost in any direction that this goes. So we'll we'll talk we'll talk about okay. that. Uh, Blue Bear had written in about Bernard and Elsie and said, "Do you think that Bernard? Uh, do you think that the the Bernard strangling Elsie flashback is an actual memory, or could it be Bernard guilt ridden after Teresa's death, just imagining that he killed Elsie to explain her disappearance? Um, is it possible that this is just some sort of glitchy memory that Bernard is having? I would probably vote no, considering the surroundings." The visual, physical surroundings that Elsie is in when Bernard flashes to strangling her looks very similar to where we saw her to be. So how would how would Bernard know that unless he was there? I agree. Yeah. So I mean, like the question is, did he kill her or did he just maim her? Uh, We're just gonna say right now, no. We like Shanda Woodward, so no. So it was just a maiming. No. Keep Ford's millennial alive. I think that she. (laughs) I I hope so. I hope she's okay here. Uh, I think at the very least, though, Bernard was there and was grabbing her. Uh, So that's that's not fantastic. That's not great. Um, Let's talk about Charlotte Hale. Let's talk about how Charlotte. You know, there's some really good scenes here with Charlotte this week in terms of her having to kind of scramble in the wake of what happened to Teresa uh, knows pretty clearly, just in the same way that Ford very clearly knew that uh, Teresa and Charlotte had staged the whole thing with the reveries and the glitches and all of that, that that was all bungus. Uh, Charlotte similarly, I think, is piecing together, oh, whoa, Ford, you straight up killed Teresa. Or, you know, whatever, like, is clearly using this to his advantage. So she has to pivot. So she turns to Sizemore, of all people. He is a the pawn in her game. I mean, I think that you're going to get that on the death pool. I think you know he doesn't. I don't think he's going to survive this season. Um, I, I don't really know what she's angling with, but she doesn't have many players left. Elsie's missing. Uh, Teresa's dead. I, we don't know what Ashley's, Ashley's you know real position with her is. So he, he Ashley you know, seems like he plays it by the book. So like yeah, even, even if he would ultimately be more loyal to someone who's sane, like Charlotte, who would possibly have like people's actual safety in mind, I think that he he wouldn't you know like go around any sort of unless he was outright ordered by the board. I don't feel like he would he would side with Charlotte on this. 
Okay. Well, maybe she's using Sizemore because he's, you know, the only one besides Ford who can create new characters and narratives and put things into play in the park. No, I think it makes sense. You know, he has the skills. Uh, you know, he's uh, a B-lister at best, it seems like, at least compared to Ford when it comes to crea- uh, creating elaborate narratives and creating compelling personalities. Everything about Sizemore's storylines and all of his storytelling, everything that we have been uh, seeing on the show, it's been suggested is all pretty hollow, does not stay. Uh, but that being said, he is also a emotionally weak man and a coward and somebody who would love nothing more than to impress Charlotte Hale here. And I think that it was also a a good callback to Sizemore and Teresa in the premiere when they have their conversation outside and they're talking about uh, Sizemore wanting to help out more uh, and wanting to help out with the bigger picture. And Teresa says, you're smart enough to see that there is a bigger picture, but not smart enough to know what it is. And now that Teresa is gone, here comes Sizemore's opportunity to actually get involved in the big picture. So I think that there's, there's a little bit of circularity there that I think is really cool. My problem here, Joe, is is Charlotte's plan. So Charlotte's plan, now that uh, Teresa is gone, now that they have not been able to get all of the IP, all of the information that they want to smuggle out of the park, out of the park, is to upload all of this data into the mind of a decommissioned host. Because a decommissioned host's body, uh, which is not using its CPU or whatever, to maintain all of the complexities that are required of a lifelike host uh that's big enough that's a that's a big enough storage place for all of this data so charlotte wants to put all of this information in a decommissioned host have sizemore give this host some semblance of personality so that this host can ride on out of westworld with that information in place and then presumably they can scoop up that host and take the information out like a human thumb drive joe <laughs> is basically what they're looking at um but they choose Aberdathy of uh, all purpose. people. Is it? Is it? It better be on purpose. If that's random, why? Like, if if she's just going down the cold storage with Sizemore and randomly selecting a host, why go that deep into the belly of like the army of naked cold hosts? Just pick somebody <laughs> in the front line. So if it's random, I have an issue with how she did this randomly. But if it's on purpose, Peter Abernathy is a curious choice to put this in. He's not because if she knows about the connection between Dolores and Ford and she, you know, Dolores is the first, the original, his baby. Um, and that I call him dad Bernathy dad because Bernathy. <laughs> hashtag dad Bernathy. Dad um, Bernathy. I think it's a specific choice for emotional manipulation. Okay. For against Ford. Yes. But I think that that flies in the face of what the plan seems to be. The plan seems to be, let's get this guy out of here so that we can have his information. And the get this guy out of here is the most pivotal part. As we learn in the Maeve storyline, first of all, these hosts have explosive spines, <laughs> which is crazy. I have to laugh. <laughs> it's like what one of the vertebrae in the spine is like actually like a highly you know powerful explosive that will instantly destroy the host. Uh, yeah. that's a really elaborate, elaborate plan. I guess that beats, uh, like bomb necks. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's a little Xenogear shout out for you guys. Uh, I feel like, 
I don't know. I, I, this person is very recognizable, Joe. Uh, didn't Abernathy just have like a fairly public meltdown here at Westworld and was pulled from rotation because of this? Uh, is somebody who was having all of these weird Shakespearean quotes that he was spouting out about Arnold and everything. This is not exactly like the lowest key person that you could ferret out of Westworld. Somebody you have to imagine. Also, we've seen in flashbacks to the earliest days of the park back in episode three when Ford is walking Bernard through everything, you see who those early hosts are. And Abernathy is absolutely one of those early hosts. So he's been here forever. You'd think that somebody on Abernathy's way out of the park would be like, yo, what's Abernathy doing walking around and out of cold storage? I feel like in terms of like, if you were just choosing that guy specifically, even to to wound Ford, I feel like the risk of that guy getting recognized on the way out of Westworld is dramatically high. I hadn't really thought about the departure. Uh, the, departure of, the sudden departure. It's the most important the sudden part. Departure. Oh my gosh. Yes. Let's I would love a leftovers Westworld crossover. The leftovers. I'm just saying. The Westovers. Oh shit. Yeah. Are you gonna enjoy <laughs> now you're some, talk- We're all gonna enjoy some leftovers this week, hopefully. Oh nice one. That's Excellent. The That's the plan. Um happy Thanksgiving, by the way. Indeed. Um gosh, I hadn't thought about his uh his exit plan. Um obviously they're gonna have to decommission the bomb in his spine to make it happen. But I feel like the worlds are gonna converge with with Dad Bernathy and Maeve both, you know, trying to get out of the park. One being uh you know, surreptitiously, which is Maeve, and then the other uh, that Charlotte Hale is trying to use Dad Bernathy. I don't know how it's going to all work, but there is there is a a war coming, my friend. <laughs> the yes. hosts, the hosts versus the humans, for sure, of course. But I, I I think I think with Abernathy. Well, first off, do they do they know about the bomb in the spine? Like, is that common knowledge among staff, or is this like in their panic? Could you see Charlotte and Sizemore screwing this up? Especially Sizemore, who is like his whole thing is that he screws everything up. Couldn't you see like he does everything right? Gets Abernathy perfectly passable, is about to board the train. Then Abernathy has some sort of Abernathy meltdown the way that he is wont to do and also blows up simultaneously. Like, I feel like you can see that scene. Like, that's a scene straight out of the Westworld finale. Is this plan goes pretty close to perfectly and then, like, Ford remote detonates Abernathy's bomb spine because Sizemore was too much of an idiot to remember it. Absolutely. And I feel like uh, HQ and Charlotte representing HQ, you know, there's the Ford has kept the text so undercover that it, they may not know the inner machinations of it. So they may not be aware of it. And even Sizemore, he's not really there when they cr- they're created. He gets the characters afterward to train them and, and write the script. Right. Like the thing is, like, I, I'm sure that information is fairly widespread. Like if you work for Delos and like you work as like especially as livestock or any of these technicians, you're going to know about the bomb spine. That's a thing that you're going to know. But if you're a drunk idiot like Sizemore who doesn't pay attention to all the details and is so wrapped up in your own head and telling your stories and wanting that to be the only thing that you focus on, it's very easy to see how that guy would not have gotten the bomb spine memo uh, and, <laughs> and Charlotte as as well, who, you know, is, is having, you know, lots of people do her bidding and doesn't have a lot of people that she can trust in this moment. How much does she, does she know about the particulars of the host? I'd like to give her more credit because she seems very intelligent and she certainly seems very ruthless. And I'd like to think that she knows about this, but 
she's also pretty desperate right now. You know, desperate times call for Sizemore. Uh, so I think, <laughs> so I, I think for, for her to have to turn to this as her only ally here, um, suggests that time is a factor, Lois. You know, time is a factor here for her. Uh, and I, and I think that she's probably pretty flustered with the, the death of Teresa, which could be an outright murder. So she feels maybe her life is on the line. So in that panicked state, I could see her missing, uh, missing a really, really big detail in this plan. Uh, Cause you just, you don't think that Abernathy is going to be able to get out of here and that Dallas is going to have this information on the hard drive. Like you don't think that this is going to work out for them. And if you're looking for ways for it to, to fail, I think the fact that we heard about the bomb spine in this episode, that feels like, you know, Chekhov's bomb spine to me. This is super morbid, but bear with me. <laughs> is excuse me? Is the information stored in the brain? Could they decapitate a host, <laughs> take the head out of the park right. without the bomb going off? Take the information. Oh my god! Wow, we are really just like dismembering Dad Bernathy right now. We're just chopping him into as many pieces. Sorry, Dad. As Sorry, Dad Bernathy. Listen, it is Thanksgiving week, and people are you know the infighting in the family is probably going to be pretty high. So you know people might be upset with Dad Bernathy this week. Uh, but I, I I think that there's an idea there if like he just blows up and his head is still intact, and if the information is uploaded to his computer brain yeah maybe they could just like lug his head around like uh michael fassbender and prometheus that's exactly what i was thinking <laughs> pretty- I-, I watched a lot too many sci-fi movies man <laughs> pretty good all right so maybe we're looking forward to uh abernathy exploding and then his severed head being carried out of the park anyway by the end of westworld if that happens joe if we just called that shot we're the coolest people on the planet Agreed. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I, I was, I'm perplexed by Charlotte's choice to pick Abernathy. And I, and even, even like the rubbing it in Ford's face, uh, aspect, which I would buy because, you know, it's, it seems like there's not a lot of good feeling between these two right now. Um, I think that just like the, the fact that he'd be recognized so quickly. So if she chose this guy, I don't really get it. And if it's random, you should have just picked somebody in the first, you know, row. You know, don't go all the way into the pile of the dull, the cold dead bodies. It's gross. Right. I mean, there's a chance that she also has no idea who who why people are decommissioned. Yeah. So it, it is random, but she just effed herself. Yeah. It is not. It's not impossible for sure. All right. Where do you want to go next? Which storyline do you want to talk about now? I mean, let's talk about William and the man in black and Dolores. Okay. All right. So let's talk about William. William and and Dolores uh, are obviously a separate storyline from the man in black story. But if you've been following these podcasts and if you've been reading about Westworld and listening to other podcasts, it's hard to go anywhere without hearing the theory that William and the man in black are the same dude. Uh, This week's uh, episode, Joe, uh, really, really helped, uh, helped that along the path, I think. I agree. And, you know, there are certain scenes I'm really watching now, uh, the scenes with young William, because I'm looking for the gray area, the turn, the, the area between white hat to black hat. Yeah. There's a, when they come across, uh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, when Dolores and William come across the, the slain men on the beach, you know, Dolores goes to get water for the guy that she thinks they can save or keep alive. When she comes back, he's dead. I feel like William killed him. Totally, I feel totally, yeah. totally like cracked his neck or did whatever he did to put him out of his misery, which, you know, that there's there's a reason for that. But there's that gray area, that turning toward man in black. And I feel like it's giving credence to it. 
Yeah, I mean, it would make sense, too, like, from William's perspective, like, knowing that this is a host. But, right. But the host is suffering on the beach, and William being, like, a mostly good guy maybe reasons, like, let me end his suffering. Someone will come and scoop him up and repair him, and he will be back on his feet soon, rather than, like, bleeding out on the beach. Um, so you could see, like, William's logic for doing that, and that's, like... That's a step, you know, that's like a baby step toward the logic that we're going to see the man in black employ. You know, like that's like a like a like a good natured as much as it, as it, much as it can be like euthanization of, of this person where we're going to see the man in black, you know, be very callous towards hosts in the future. But as far as like first acts, if William is the man in black and this is his first experience in Westworld that we are watching as far as first acts and learning the rules and how you're going to behave in this place, you could see that be being along the path towards the man in black. Right, because we've seen him recently shoot hosts right. and not be not be upset about it. So right. I feel like it's it's a it's a slow path, but we have 30 years. So, you know, uh, I think that the our theory about him being the man in black, it just maybe because we want it to be, it's making more sense. Yeah, or maybe it's making more sense because it's real. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's <laughs> what I that. think. That's what I think is that it, that it's, it's bearing out. And I know that there's been some confusion about the, about the story this week. Uh, a few people had written in, we'll take this from ben, Brendan Fitzpatrick, who had written in about the scene where Dolores and William arrive on the town. You know, the town that we, you know, we keep, we keep seeing and like the church tower and everything like that. And Dolores is tripping out pretty hard as she's wandering around this town. And one minute, there's people there, uh, there's hosts there, Maeve is there, you know, all of these people are there. And then the next minute, people are getting sh- shot up, uh, and Dolores herself, like, sees herself shooting herself in the head. Uh, and then she, like, kind of, like, skips in time, and William is suddenly there, and now the town is completely empty, and it's back to the church tower. And if William is here in the town when it's already been raised, does this destroy the William and man in black theory? Why is this town like this in the William timeline? So Brendan Fitzpatrick had written in is the multiple timeline theory dead. Now Dolores and William seem to have found the steeple that Ford built and placed in what we think is the present of the show. So if they aren't the present time, that means William is not the man in black and that he's some regular person we haven't met. Or is it possible Dolores and William are actually skipping through time? Dolores's visions and the voice in her head have become more intense. The quote, they got to this space. So first off, Joe, how do you reconcile this? How do you reconcile the fact that Dolores stumbles upon this town, walks through the town, the town is vibrant, suddenly the town is shot up, um, and then Dolores seems to like come to this present timeline where the town is raised and William is there. How does that work if William and the man in black are the same person? I don't know. <laughs> Like uh, everything was going along swimmingly, and then they got to the present, uh, the, the the church, the raised church, which seemingly is in the new narrative area that that Ford is building. Um, I don't quite have an answer for that. I was hoping you did. Um, I I, I can I can make an attempt if you'd like. Please do. I feel like I feel like I could do this. We had a request from Sarah Freeman that a theorized timeline of thirty five years ago, thirty years ago, one year ago, and <laughs> the present would be super. Uh, I mean, hard hard to do in a concise way, uh, but I I do think that it speaks to this uh, that request of thirty five years ago, thirty years ago, one year ago, and present. And I think just to to mark those, I think that those are those are four very important points in time here in Westworld. Worth noting that uh, that Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy, the show 
showrunners, the creators of Westworld, have talked about how they were really interested in the idea of this theme park not as a new place, but an old place. And I think that that has bared out really well in the show so far, where the depth of the history in Westworld is a huge reason why this show has become so complicated mythologically. There's a lot going on. You keep hearing about this Arnold guy. When was Arnold around? All of that. Um, so I think certainly the present storyline, if we're, if we're tracking this multiple timeline theory, is everything we're seeing with the man in black. Right? Agreed? Right. Uh, right. So that's, that's one, that's one storyline. That's the, the first scene of the whole series is Dolores and Teddy, and you think that Teddy is a human, and then they go back to Dolores' place, and the man in black is there. All of that is present timeline. Yes. Uh, then there's the question of 30 years ago is when we are saying that William is here. That's the William storyline. If you believe that William is someday going to become the man in black and it's thrown into a little bit of whack of uh, the man in whack, a little bit of jeopardy here <laughs> when you see William walking around this town with Dolores and it's been raised and we've seen the town in this state in the present timeline with Robert Ford in the second episode when he decides he's going to make his new narrative. So how does that work? Um, there's also 35 years ago that we need to consider. That's when Arnold is still alive. He died about 35 years ago. So Arnold is still there. If you follow the Bernard theory, which is that Bernard, the host, is modeled and designed after Arnold, the man. So Jeffrey Wright is also going to play Arnold. And if you subscribe to that theory, then perhaps it's not a reach to think that some of the scenes that we've seen, especially with Jeffrey Wright and Evan Rachel Wood, the sit-downs with Bernard and Dolores are actually sit-downs with Arnold and Dolores. Yes. Uh, so there's a 35 years ago timeline um, to consider. So those are three possible timelines to consider. And if William and Dolores are in this town that has been raised, that has been bulldozed, that has been gone, you already have to buy that five years earlier, Arnold is dead. Uh, Arnold will die five years before William and Dolores reach this town. So my theory is when Dolores is here and when she's skipping around in time um, and she is walking through this town and she's seeing all these people and she sees Maeve there and she sees the dancing lessons and we've seen glimpses of this in episode three when Ford is relaying this information to Bernard for the first time. When she is seeing all of that, she is flashing back no more than like five years, back to the Arnold days, back to everything that's going on there. And clearly something really dramatically awful happened during those days possibly and very likely tied to Arnold's death. And I think that that is what she's remembering. And so if that happens, and if Arnold, as we know, his history has already been basically bulldozed by Ford and Delos, as Ford tells Bernard in episode three, then it would make sense that shortly after Arnold's death, if it is somehow a catalyst for this horrible atrocity that happens in this town, that perhaps Dolores is a perpetrator of some of this violence based on the vision, that that happened five years before that moment moment where William and Dolores reached this place that at that point, even 30 years ago, has already been bulldozed. So the steeple that Ford finds at the end of episode two has been like that, has been that town has been totally gone for at least 30 years since the William days, since before the William days. So I think that that is how you would reconcile William still being the man in black and being in this town that has been bulldozed. You are a genius, sir. Um, that, does that was great. Does that, does that, that work was super for you? helpful, actually. It totally, totally helps. And I, I was thinking about a lot about the idea that, 
you know, we've seen Teddy have the realization an episode or two ago that he was the one shooting up the town. And I like your idea that Dolores also right. you know, was part was part of it. And I'm I'm telling you, I, I feel like Teddy is Wyatt. Well, I think that whether Teddy is Wyatt or the Wyatt situation and the Arnold situations are are linked. Like I thought, like yes. maybe is Wyatt, you know, just a you know a pseudonym for Arnold. You know, is this just you know Ford says like every great story is rooted in some truth, uh, and if Wyatt is his narrative's version of a doppelganger for uh, you know as an avatar for Arnold, and even in the scene with Charlotte and Sizemore, they were talking about how there's still this great dramatic villain in Ford its narrative that has yet to be introduced and Sizemore thinks that he is making that guy we see that cannibal is just, eat, <laughs> just eating eating a calf a human calf uh is a really really great scene so the, the the Wyatt character hasn't been designed or at least it's being withheld as some sort of mystery but I think that this town is very clearly the same town that Teddy is shooting up and that Wyatt is shooting up in Teddy's first visions and then Teddy's visions are transforming so that he is committing the violence as well um and if Dolores is involved Involved in that as well is Dolores Wyatt is Teddy Wyatt are these two both Arnold like are they both fueled by Arnold somehow whatever all of that is I think it all boils down to this place in this moment something happened here something happened here five years before the time that Dolores reaches it 30 years ago uh, which is complicated it's hard to hard to wrap <laughs> your head around exactly and I think a very fair question this was written in by Blue Bear is so if there are multiple timelines where in the world has present day Dolores been that seems like a very fair question to me right I that's a very good question um, I mean, we've seen Dolores, uh, we had a, had a scene with Dolores and Robert Ford a few episodes back, uh, where he's talking to her in a diagnostics facility. It's not impossible that she's just kind of in storage right now and is remembering things and is yes. recalling what she has been through. And the Dolores of today is not very physically active right now, might be just in a room in storage waiting for Maeve to walk on her door. Wouldn't that be a team up? Uh, but she, you know, like the, the physical and mental work that Maeve is doing right now in terms of waking up, that might just be physical work that Dolores has already done. And now at this point, 30 years after her awakening with William, 35 years after her awakening with Arnold, it's a third coming. It's a third awakening, and it's just happening internally right now. Um, I think that's where I'm leaning with it. But, you know, who knows? We'll see. <laughs> I, I love it, and I love the idea of Maeve and Dolores being the two that just, like, you know, Maeve is creating Power her couple, army. Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh, those two who run the world, who girls. Who run the world? Yeah, no, I would love that. <laughs> I think that that would be that would be really really good. Uh, our Philly had also written in what about what is Dolores hearing? Um, when Dolores is hearing the voice in her mind summoning her, I feel like I'm hearing a layering of audio that includes Hopkins and Woods's voices in it. Am I losing my mind, or does anyone else hear that? Interesting, given the conversations about the bicameral mind we hear Bernie and Ford discuss earlier. So what do you think about this? Who do you first off did you did you notice that there's something weird about like the voice doubling that that uh, Dolores is hearing when she's in the town? Absolutely. I wondered if if there are two different factions in her head. One remotely, like there you know there is the GPS uh, system that has been I don't know if it's in Dolores, but you know it's certain hosts have been our spies uh, without their knowledge. So it could be someone talking in her brain from the outside and someone talking to her brain from the inside. 
Yeah, uh, I hear it not as Evan Rachel Wood and Anthony Hopkins. I've been hearing it, and maybe it's just my Bernardold bias showing, but I've been hearing it as Evan Rachel Wood and Jeffrey Wright, um, yeah. which just would fuel the Arnold theory that Bernard and Arnold uh, are not exactly one and the same, but Jeffrey Wright is playing both characters, and Bernard is probably modeled after Arnold. That's what I've been hearing. Would love to hear what other people have been hearing, but you definitely hear something. Like There's definitely mm-hmm. a strange layering with the voices there. Um, another thing in, in favor of the Bernardold theory this week joe uh is did you happen to catch and we're skipping ahead quite a bit the scene where where it's a it's a definite flashback again at another point in the timeline this is one year before the present timeline this is right after the man in black has killed mave and her daughter uh mave is brought into uh into the mesa is brought into the lab they are having a really hard time calming her down and the only thing that seems to work and it only works for a second is a music cue. Did you happen to to figure out what that music cue was, Joe? I did not. It wasn't the Amy Winehouse one. It was not. It, it was not the Amy Winehouse one. It was. It was Reverie once again by ah. by Debussy. Uh, and Ford gives credit to this tactic to to Arnold. Uh, like this is an old trick in in the book to calm somebody down. Um, so already, like if that music had sort of been like implicitly connected to Arnold in the first scene that Ford talks about Arnold. We also hear that music in the first scene of episode seven when we think it's Bernard talking to Charlie, but maybe that's a memory of Arnold. And even Bernard on the show this week asks Ford, are those real memories or what? And Ford is kind of coy about it. He's like, yeah, you know, you need a story, but it could have been a very real story. Uh, right? all, all great stories are rooted in truth. Um, so I think, I think it's possible when you're hearing this music again and that it's connected to uh, t- to Arnold outright, if Ford is saying that, like that to me feels feels like uh, not confirmation of the Bernard Arnold thing, but it feels like at least that idea, this idea that this song is connected to that character, uh, is getting some credence on this show. So I like that. I'm a fan of that. I also like the idea that Maeve and Dolores are both uh, becoming more aware through different means and different people. Yeah. And when they come together, that'll be very interesting if I they do. So. I think so as well. Um, do you want to keep talking some man in black stuff? Yes. I mean, it's interesting, you know, when he was tied up and he was talking to Teddy and sort of revealing more about himself. Um, did you notice that he never, ever takes his gloves off? No, I did not notice that. I don't, I don't, I, I'd have to go back. I could be mistaken, but I think there's something to that. Um, I was, I noticed when he took his hat off. That he just has lobster hands underneath and he doesn't, (laughs) he doesn't want anyone to know that he is a lobstrosity, which again would be very weird with the man in black and the gunslinger connection. It's all dark tower all the time here. There you go. I know. I don't think he has lobster claw hands, but there's, there's something to it. And I'm I'm not saying he's a host because he's indestructible. Red Harris Harris is the name of the restaurant that he would open up where they serve lobster hands. I don't know. Hashtag Red Harris. I don't know. I don't know where I am anymore. I'm as confused as Dolores. Oh, we are living as someone put on Twitter in worst world. So it's totally understandable. (laughs) (laughs) Our brains have gone a little woo woo. All right. So so you're looking at his hands as a possible, uh, as a possible clue. I hope that they are not a red herring that they also serve at Red Harris. I could be crazy, but I mean, I feel like, you know, they're giving us a little more information about him. I want to know why he doesn't have a name. Well, it's because his name's William. <laughs> and they can't, I, I mean, is that, that on the show yet? I guess so. I okay. I mean, that would make sense. I want it to be William as well. Yes. Um, 
Well, there, it was, just, there was another big piece of, of evidence on this on this storyline this week, Joe. I'm sure I'm sure you caught the the moment where man, where the man in black and Teddy are riding along their path and they come ac- across all of Wyatt's carnage and only one person seems to be alive. And that person is this woman who has survived this attack that we're later going to find out seems to be in cahoots with Wyatt. Uh, oh, Angela. But this woman, yes, is is someone that we have seen before and somebody that the man in black recognizes and we have seen this woman before in the second episode of west yes this is tallulah riley's character her, her name i believe is angela and she is the woman who greets william when william comes to westworld for the first time and yes. we don't really see much of her beyond that on the show i think that she was in a commercial for westworld at one point but the man in black very tellingly when he comes across her says oh it's you I thought they would have retired you by now. Uh, I guess Ford doesn't like to waste a pretty face. Uh, so the man in black certainly knows this woman before. The only time we have seen her really on the show before was with William. So if you're tracking that theory, that's a really great point in the column. I guess you're right that the whole, the whole thing could be a red Harris herring. Like it's not, <laughs> it's not impossible that this is all just some misdirect for something that none of us are seeing. But if you're starting to see, or if, if you're starting to try and figure out how all of those bullets are lining up and how it's all going to come together, it really does feel like they are they are putting putting a lot out there that is strongly in favor of the William and Black theory, and I think that Tallulah Riley's presence on the show this week definitely helped that out. True, that's true. I agree with that. Uh, you know, I'm what I'm most curious about is Man in Black. Why does he seemingly need Teddy to complete the maze? Yeah, well, it's it is a good question. Like what is Teddy's role here? Why does Teddy have to be the person who's come along? Um and certainly Teddy has this big connection to Wyatt. Is there some sort of historical reason that Teddy needs to be brought along uh as well? I'm I'm still not fully on the up and up on that. Our Philly has a theory about Teddy. Uh I will lay this out there in two parts. This is from our Philly. I've been watching okay. with the perspective that Teddy was built in the image of William from from early on. I'm sold that William equals the man in black. I think Ford creating a host that mirrors the man in black when he was an optimistic man adds incredible depth and complexity to those relationships. I've heard it said in storytelling that the battle between good and evil is often best told in the struggle within a person rather than the field of battle. So first off, Joe, what do you think about that idea that if we're tracking that the man in black was here as a young man and that's Jimmy Simpson's character and he was certainly a nicer guy back then, at least for the first couple of days that he was in Westworld, could you see that Teddy would be modeled after Will? Absolutely. The idealistic, you know, uh, falling in love with Dolores, wanting to be a good guy in a bad world. Absolutely. Um, all right. So the next part is uh, is this. So does the Man in Black's conversation then indicate he intends to give Teddy the power to kill him as a precursor to an out-of-body resolution of this conflict between good and evil within himself? Does he want this idealized version of his younger, less corrupted self to finally kill him and ride off with Dolores like he wished he could have once upon a time? In a sense, isn't Teddy being free to live where the mountains meet the sea with Dolores forever and after just a different version of the Man in Black and himself living out that reality after his body dies rather than being uploaded into a host it's pretty pretty heavy what do you think about that i i like it i've never thought about it i need to let it marinate a little bit um you know dolores is the key between those two absolutely i'm not a key i'm just dolores (laughs) by the way dolor in spanish means pain Ah. so there you go don't take away Uh, my pain 
That's right. Then again, we've also talked about that Dolores is, you know, Delos minus the RE. Right. So anyway, whatever, rabbit holes. Um, I feel like, you know, I've been so focused on Maeve that we're missing something huge with Dolores, especially when it comes to Teddy and the man in black. So I'm curious to see in the next two episodes what becomes of it. You know, I'm still I'm still somewhat skeptical of, of the relationship between man in black and Dolores if there is a reason that Dolores was created um, in the likeness of potentially uh, his daughter. Right. Um, if there is, if he's actually like, I know he drags her into the barn and now that we've seen what he's done to Maeve, I've, I question my logic where I'm trying to give man in black the benefit of the doubt. I know it's harder. It's harder. It is harder to think that he brought her in there to like reprogram her or work with her or play Um, cheesy or anything like that. Right. Exactly. But again, we are in the 30 year later timeline when that happens, I believe when we see man in black drag her into the barn and he is trying to get to the center of the maze and finish the game because I do believe his time on this earth is, you know, maybe not entirely. He doesn't have as many days left as the rest of us. Um, that's, again, my theory, and I'm sticking to it. So I don't really have an answer, but I, I like our Phillies theories. Well, I think, you know, there's there's some very good information about the Man in Black in this episode outside of all of the tinfoil hat nonsense. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of really good stuff in this scene where Ed Harris is tied up and he is finally telling Teddy. Teddy, first of all, is glitching out. We don't really know what it is that's causing Teddy to remember things about the Man in Black, but he is remembering things. And maybe it's along the same the same lines of him remembering his real role in the Wyatt situation. So you wonder if Ford, when he gave gave Teddy the the spruce him up the pick him up maybe it started unlocking some memories and that's how he is encountering the man in black here but I was a little confused about how Teddy started waking up a little bit so I'm just spitballing uh, <laughs> right right now just kind of freestyle um, but with with the man in black as he's tied up he talks about how do you want to know who I am I'm a god not just in this world but in another world so he is a huge person outside of Westworld we already got the sense of that based on the earlier interaction when the guy fanned out on the man in black he confirms he's a philanthropist he's a titan of industry he's also a family man he has a wife he has a daughter or at least he he had a wife he had a wife uh and his wife is is no longer with us she died about a year ago uh she had an overdose of pills the man in black thought it was an accident his daughter seems to believe that it was suicide because both the daughter and the man in black's wife have been so deeply terrified of the man in black because even though he has never been dark or explosive at them specifically, they know that he goes to Westworld and does messed up stuff. Uh, and the man in black's wife had told him, or maybe it was his daughter who had told him that all of the good deeds he has ever done. Uh, it's just an elegant wall to keep people out of the dark truth inside. And even the man in black should be kept out of that and so the man in black to test that theory out to see if that's right in the wake of his wife's death decides he's going to go off the grid he's going to go to westworld he's going to do the worst thing that he can possibly do and he is going to kill a woman and her daughter and that's going to be Maeve and Maeve's daughter and we've seen this scene multiple times throughout the series we've seen it multiple times throughout this episode and it finally gets clarity that the reason the man in black is there is not to like wake Maeve up or do something charitable. It's literally just to kill Maeve and her daughter just to see if like he would feel anything. Would this be something that really rips him up? And no, he feels nothing. Um, he, he feels absolutely nothing except for the knife that apparently is slashed against his throat 
by Maeve. So even back then, Maeve is capable of physically harming human beings. So that's, yes. that's pretty neat. And then he's also feeling, you know, quite a lot when he sees Maeve crying horribly over her daughter's death before she herself dies. And like, that's the moment that unlocks the maze for, for the man in black. The Maeve's is real, <laughs> Joe, it turns out. Yep. Good call, my friend. The Maves is a thing that, like, even if she's not the Maze, she is what inspires the man in black to go searching for this thing. I don't quite understand how the mechanics of this thing work, but we get this aerial view. We get this bird's eye view of Maeve and her daughter dead in the middle of the field, and the dirt underneath them is drawn in the same shape as the Maze. Uh, and even Teddy at some point says something about, like, why do you keep obsessing about that symbol? So people see this symbol around. It's not, it doesn't seem to to be like one of those uh, that doesn't look like anything to me type of things like people know what this what this symbol looks like so i don't know quite how the mechanics of that all work out but killing mave and watching mave have this extraordinary moment of grief inspires the man in black to continue along this path and to search for this maze and to come back to westworld in this no holds barred sort of way wanting to honor arnold's legacy to create a game that has true stakes a game that cuts deep as he says to Teddy, uh, and it, it makes you wonder that it's like it was an emotional thing. It was a show of love. It was this highly romantic moment. Um, you know, this this love between a mother and her daughter in their final moments together, and this horrible, horrible grief that finally inspires the man in black to seek this seek out this journey that, assumedly, leads to consciousness among the hosts. So to tie that back into our Phillies theory a little bit, that if the man in black is, you know, inspired by this emotional outburst from Maeve to give these hosts the consciousness that Arnold wanted them to have so that if they do kill each other, if they do have, uh, if they do commit atrocious acts against each other, if they do fall in love, if they do ride away together, if all of that stuff can happen authentically and through their own choices and without limitation, um, then, then, then maybe there is something of a romantic read of the man in black either wanting Dolores to choose him or choose Teddy or something like that. And maybe a piece of this is trying to honor this woman that he fell in love with 30 years earlier. Uh, so I think that there might be something there in terms of why it was so important that like an emotional moment really unlocked this mission for the man in black and seeing Maeve die. A few things uh, to step back a bit. I think that the thing with his, the real life wife of the man in black is, it's not a surprise. He spends, he became obsessed with Westworld. He spent so much time there that his wife probably was despondent. You know, if I had to guess, um, and it is probably his fault. Um, you know, that being said, I know that we know he ran a quote foundation and he changed lives. So that's sort of an interesting dichotomy of, you know, he might've helped other people, but not himself and his own family. Um, I like the parallel between Maeve slashing man in black's throat and also slashing Sylvester's throat, yeah. evil Whedon's throat. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I have to assume that after that happened, they put Maeve into the saloon as the madam after that scene, after that, after that narrative, after she was killed violently and they tried to erase her memory and didn't work clearly. Um, there's got to be, a, and let's talk about Maeve because, you know, as our last big piece of this puzzle, I think it's a good segue. There has to be a connection between Maeve and the men in black. We already know there's one with Dolores. We don't quite know what it is, but, you know, she was the first person that he killed allegedly um you know a year a year ago but he's killed plenty of people before that so for third for 29 years are we to believe that he felt you know he didn't 
he just killed people and it is part of his, you know, puzzle and his maze. And then why a year ago? Why a year ago? What changed? Yeah, I think that he I the impression that I got in in the description of his marriage and his family life is that you know he's this super good guy on the outside world is you know if he's a doctor if he's some sort of medical pioneer i mean he does talk about himself as a god we have seen him do cool medical stuff like field medicine um we've heard that he has saved somebody's life uh and we know that that all illness has been cured is like a thing that was said early on in Westworld. And we also see that like near death things can be avoided. Like when Sylvester gets his throat ripped open and Felix is able to just like very quickly suture him up when that should be an instant kill. And he is walked right back from the brink that I think it's not a huge leap to think that the man in black in the outside world, maybe he's responsible for a lot of that. He calls himself a Titan of industry and a philanthropist and basically a God those would qualify based on like stuff that we're seeing in the medical field on this show. Um, so what, but even if that's not what it is, we, we at least know that he's a Titan of industry and a philanthropist and somebody in the park is a huge fan of that guy. And he has all of these good deeds that he's accumulated. But the impression that I get is that he relieves his stress. He, you know, gets his jollies by going to Westworld and killing a bunch of people and being like, you know, this really bad apple and going full black hat and everything like that. But in terms of like this actual, mission um this really focused thing i've played every you know i've played every story in this game i've seen every nook and cranny except for this not this nook and cranny john uh you know (laughs) there's there's all these different things that he's done but he hasn't seen this final thing through the impression that i've gotten is that his mission for the maze never was even on his radar or at least was not something he took seriously until this past year uh, you know, this moment with Maeve woke him up to the possibility of satisfying Arnold's legacy or whatever his ultimate motivations are. And now he's back in Westworld with no intent of coming back. He tells Teddy, like, I've settled my affairs back there. Uh, so he spent probably like the past year getting really boned up and ready for this trip to Westworld. So I think that his dedication to the mission is a fairly recent development for him. I think that for the past, you know, however many decades he's been here, I think it's been mostly black hat and now he's got an actual journey that he's uh that he's heading towards i like the idea that he's the one who created the, the medical you know breakthroughs in technology that allows the hosts to be so alive and lifelike and that maybe that's why he has free reign remember when when ashley said oh he can do whatever he wants that right. as the ho- he's the only host that has free reign because he's financed so much of it yeah it's totally possible i could see yeah it. That's why there's got to be a connection between Ford and Man in Black. I'm telling you, they're brothers, man. I am telling you. Bros. We're bros. Uh, <laughs> not, not impossible. Um, do you want to talk about Maeve in greater detail? Pretty, yes. Pretty neat episode for Maeve, who now has the ability to write her own effing story, quite literally. Oh, my gosh. So great. Tandy Newton, again, every week, we'll just say, and the Emmy goes to. Yes. because. I mean, you know, it's award season's coming up. The Critics' Choice Awards just uh, nominations came out, and Evan Rachel Wood, rightly so, got a nomination. But oh, I'd nice. like to see, I'd like to see Tandy Newton on that list coming up. You know, uh, I would too. Uh, we we got a question from Dave Baker who'd written in. Can you recall any more powerful female TV characters more than Maeve? If so, who and why? Uh, and we're not even a full season into Westworld, so to say like that that Maeve is top of the list, I feel it feels premature. Especially we don't know how Maeve's story is going to end. Uh, but like I think. Think of her, you know, I think of her as the Khaleesi of Westworld. Yes. It's like, that's like how I view her is just like, oh my God, like slay, slay, slay. Uh, you know, she's the person who is so actively 
on that path. Um, you know, a, bu- a bunch of you – know, Alan Seppenwall is, is, pr- is fairly critical of Westworld. Doesn't seem to be loving the show that much, but likes it when it's playing straightforward. Uh, and loves the Maeve storyline because the Maeve storyline is probably the st- most straightforward, even though it has its own twists and turns. It's mm-hmm. mostly playing out as a thriller of this killer android that's waking up. And there's something satisfying about that, that even if she is the Maeves uh, or is at the center of some questions that really need to be unlocked to understand the full scope the full picture her actual like kinetic journey currently is a fairly straight line she's waking up she's figuring out who she is she's accruing as much power she can possibly accrue and then she wants to bust the hell out of here uh that's a fairly straightforward story and i think that that makes it pretty satisfying to watch and it's kind of you know similar in sort of like that Daenerys Targaryen warpath sort of way. So rather than saying like Maeve is like the best female character ever or anything like that, it's more that like I see her as this very ferocious character. I see her as somebody who is incredibly strong-willed, uh, great resolve, immense power, and just masterfully acted by Tandy Newton. And it all comes together to form, I think, the most compelling character of the show. Uh, pretty, I, I don't want to say pretty easily because there's a lot of compelling characters here, but the Maeve journey has definitely been really really something and she's the she's the character i think about the most right now when i'm thinking about westworld i agree wholeheartedly 108 percent episode 108 a great loss number um indeed i think i keep thinking about the mave storyline completely separately from dolores and ford and hq are so focused on Teresa and on everything. It seems like what's happening with me, we have to talk about <clears throat> if there are different storylines and linear timelines. When are you sure that what is happening with Maeve and the Awakening is happening in current day? And why is everyone oblivious to it? Why is Ford not on it? Um, why is it seemingly when she walks around and she's doing the Awakening, every single tech inside of their little glass cube, are they programmed not to pay attention to what's happening and mind their own business? Because it seems baffling to me, and I'm not calling it out as a logistical failure on the part of the show, but there has to be a reason that What's happening with Maeve is going undetected by everyone but Sylvester and Felix. Yeah. Uh, well, a bunch of people had written in wondering if Felix and Sylvester are hosts. Matt in Brooklyn had written in. Andrew Hageman had written in as well. Uh, so you're not the only one wondering about, <laughs> about the possibility that maybe even like all of the livestock people are hosts. And, you know, it was a question that was posed on the show in a really great moment um, of acting from Jeffrey Wright and, you know, Obviously, every moment is pretty good when it comes to him. But there was this great moment of of Bernard knowing he's a host, uh, talking to Ford about the nature of his existence versus the nature of Ford's existence. And, you know, what separates me from being alive versus lifelike? What separates you from me? Uh, what separates a human from a host is a question that has been asked by this show from the beginning um, on a thematic level, but is asked explicitly in this episode. So it's certainly seen with the Bernard character, somebody who thinks that he's human is actually a host. It's not a crazy leap to think that a lot more of these people are are hosts than they than they know. Um, it could it could be it could be that that these people that are working on Mave are hosts. I tend to think that Felix and Sylvester are just kind of like 
the bulk and skull of this show and are just sort of like the the dummies that have gotten themselves in, into this terrible situation and they're doing the best that they can. That's actually the quote that uh, that Slo- uh, Ptolemy Slocum, who is the actor who plays Sylvester, and Leonardo Nam, who played Felix. I interviewed them this week, and Ooh. that and that was Ptolemy Slocum's defense uh, of uh, of Sylvester and Felix. He says sometimes the viewers are a little confused by these guys because the show is filled with so many geniuses. So many of these human beings are paragons of intellect and power and wisdom. That's not these guys. We are literally <laughs> doing the best we can. We're baristas of blood, and we're just trying to get through the day. This shit is way beyond us. We definitely make some poor choices, but we're doing the best with the material we have inside our minds. Uh, huh. So the actor's defense is that... Uh, give us a break. We're terrible. And we're just doing the best we can because we're terrible, which I think that to me has been how I've been reading that character. So I, I appreciated that. Evil Whedon for the win. Evil Whedon for the win. I just, I did notice for some reason I was like, both of their names are cartoon cats. So Felix the cat and Sylvester. I taught a top putty cat. I yes, did. Yes. I saw you tweet that. I meant to ask them the question, but I forgot to. I just, it just, it just came to me. I, I'm sure I'm, I don't know if it's coincidental. It, it seems unlikely that anything's coincidental. Um, especially since they worked with a bird, right? That, you know, you had Felix working with a bird. Um, anyway, it's just a little, little, little things I like to point out that I enjoy, but well, back to me. Well, was Felix uh, the cat ever really obsessed with like hunting down birds? My Felix, the cat knowledge is fairly limited. Sylvester, of course, was obsessed yes. with. Uh, I with thought cheap. I thought a buddy cat. Yeah, so yeah. We, we know that. But is is Felix as bird focused as Sylvester? I'm not sure. We'll just yeah. go with it's all coincidental. Yeah. Well, I like the idea. These two cats, they just can never catch the bird. Or that really, it's on the nose. But they're both pussies. There you go. <laughs> I had to say it out loud. Sorry. Uh, all right. I love that. That's great. Uh, all right. Go back to me if you were about to say something. <laughs> I forget what I was going to say, but um, okay. So her plan is, you know, she thinks that she can even, you know, deactivate the bomb in her spine yeah. and get out to the real world. And I think Felix said, you know, you have no idea what the real world's like and how can you live? Let's say hypothetically Maeve gets out of Westworld. How do you see that unfolding? Yeah. Great question. Um, not well. Uh, <laughs> like it, it, it's, it could be. I mean, it would be great because potentially, you know, that gives us eyes and ears in the world outside of Westworld, and we're definitely intrigued by that. What does this, you know, what does this universe really look like? Uh, and to have Maeve be somebody who is exploring that would be would be pretty neat to see. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm scared of Maeve. I'm legitimately very <laughs> scared of Maeve. This was a question from Jackie Tomeyer who says, is anyone else terrified of Maeve? She's a force to be reckoned with. Do you think she sees other hosts as peers that need awakening as well or just tools to escape? And it's that last part of Jackie's question that is the reason why I'm as scared of, of Maeve as I am because – I don't know. Um, she, you know, she finds out about her daughter in this episode. Like she learns that the emotional experiences, you know, these these um, these flashbacks, she's experiencing them in real time because that's how the hosts' brains are made to work. That they have access to every memory at any instant, and it's going to feel just as real now as it did when it happened. Um, she she has this feeling about her daughter, and it's certainly um, it, it's a it's a it's a wound in her side, uh, quite literally in the case of her encounter with the man in black, um, that really does weigh her down. But when it's not actively weighing her down, the way she talks about it, where she's like, "Find out where my daughter is." You know what? Actually, don't. 
it's just another thing that's holding me back from leaving. I'm not going to let myself get dragged down by that. Um, that's, you know, kind of callous. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I think that also the way that she's interacting with fellow hosts when she has this power to rewrite people's programming, when she's given that ability um, that we really haven't seen from anybody uh, like outside of Ford to this level um, – I guess you have seen them, you know, use voice commands and everything like that, but we've never really seen a host uh, other than Bernard be able to exhibit that kind of thing. And when she's wandering around Sweetwater, uh, when the when the big fight is breaking out, when Hector rolls back into town huh. uh, and shoots everybody up, and she tells the sheriff that the sheriff judged the riders to be good, upstanding Christians, and so the sheriff walks away, and Armitage just blows him away anyway because Armitage hasn't been told anything about the sheriff. And then when she tells the two like constables to just shoot each other, uh, <laughs> it's just like she she knows what they are. She knows that them dying in this moment doesn't. Mean that they are going to be dead forever so maybe there's a certain practicality that she is viewing these uh these you know the, the true nature of their existence so she doesn't have to feel so emotionally distraught over it but the fact that she is as cold as she is is really is really frightening it's certainly you know understandable that she's not going to trust people that she's not going to trust human beings now that she knows who she is but the fact that she is showing kind of no mercy toward her fellow hosts here and is really talking about an army she wants to recruit an army does she want to recruit an army of sympathizers or does she want to recruit an army of minions of underlings of people that she doesn't give much of an f about but they're going to help her escape um that's the question for me and i don't know where i'm at with mave i think that the continu- Continued nagging of her past and the fact that she's really uh, awake to it by the end of this episode makes me hopeful that she's going to come back to center a little bit emotionally in terms of being a good person. Um, hmm. But I think that there is the possibility that that Maeve could break bad. Like you and I have talked about that. Like just because yep. these hosts are waking up doesn't mean they're all going to wake up and be rainbows and unicorns. Maybe some of them are going to be really, really scary when they're woke. Uh, like yeah. Hector could be a really, really scary woke host. Uh, and Maeve could certainly be one of them as well. And if that's the Maeve that we see, and if that Maeve breaks out of Westworld, Joe, and goes into the real world, I stand by my original answer that I think it's not going to be good if she gets out of here. It's going to be very scary. And yet she's a computer, so there has to be a way for her to be controlled, upgraded, charged, etc. So she can't go alone. Right. And she definitely needs, if not, you know, Felix and Sylvester, she needs a team of people. And I think she's smart enough, she's at level 20 now, to realize that. What I want to know, and I want to see in the next two episodes, is her and Dolores, and how she's going to recruit Dolores. Unless, and here's a crazy theory... The flash that we see of Dolores putting the gun to her head is actually we're watching it from Maeve's perspective. Interesting. That Maeve, Maeve is the one shooting up the town or having her minions do it. And that Maeve does not find a use for Dolores and therefore has her kill herself. Yeah, I mean, I could see the situation where Maeve and Dolores don't exactly get along. Yeah. Uh, you know, I could see I could see the scenario where this show is, you know, like building up our investment in a few different storylines that you would think would all connect together eventually and, you know, be side by side with each other. But maybe it's at odds. Uh, yeah. And it's not just humans versus hosts, and it could be hosts versus hosts, and it could be a Dolores versus Maeve thing could be something that develops. I don't think that that's out of the question at all yet. We don't know nearly enough about how these two view each other. Uh, really, right. their only interaction is when uh, Dolores said to Maeve, these violent delights will have violent ends, and that seemed to trigger <laughs> some stuff with Maeve. Uh, so we don't really know what the nature of that relationship is. It could be adversarial eventually, or they could be best friends. Really don't know. I- 
I, I really, you know, I, I just started now thinking about season two because I know we have two episodes left, but I like the idea of season two, Maeve on the outside working with other people trying to break into the tech and pr- trying to um, not recreate Westworld, but to, uh, you know, destroy it perhaps. Mm. You know, I just I feel I like the idea of Maeve on the outside working with uh, meeting up with the people who are infiltrating right now separately from her. Interesting. Yeah, though, that could be cool. That could be really yeah. cool. Or we're, as usual, we're probably completely wrong, but I'm, enjoy- I'm along for the ride, man. Uh, this, I thought, was a really compelling um, a really compelling meditation from Geek Furious, who had written in. I think this is a good place to start closing out, uh, that I think it's still tied to the Maeve story and something that we could talk through. Uh, from Geek Furious. In Romeo and Juliet, Friar Lawrence says, These violent delights have violent ends, and in their triumph die like fire and powder, which, as they kiss, consume. This is the foundation of romantic love, a rush of emotion that dies out as quickly as it was born, and it is apparently a major part of the show. The hosts are the ultimate romantic entities. They live, love, and die over and over and over. They have never existed in a world of tempered consumption of life, as Friar Lawrence concludes. Therefore, love moderately. Long love doth so. Too swift arrives as tardy as too slow. Are these hosts capable of that? Maybe Maeve will be able to build up her army and create more self-aware, super-intelligent creatures to fight with her, but isn't emotional self-destruction built into all these hosts by default? They are too romantic for their own good. They are not built for survival. Self-aware, they could become suicidal. Is that what happened to Dolores in those visions? She became self-aware and could only see death as a way out. Please opine. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I think that I think that's an interesting uh, an interesting view of the hosts, especially combined with some information that we get in this week's episode, where we know that the hosts experience memories differently than you and I. For humans, memory is hazy. For the hosts, memory is instantaneous. You're experiencing it all over again. Um, you know, that's real. It's just like accessing a new file, and you're you know you're experiencing it as vividly as it happened when it happened. Um, that's a lot. And then compare, you know, combine that with when we see the aftermath of what the Man in Black did to Maeve. He killed Maeve. He killed Maeve's daughter. Maeve is brought back to the Mesa and is hysterical. So they've already brought her back online, and she's already hysterical. And even the reverie is not enough. Even the music is not enough to completely pacify her. It only pacifies her for a limited time. And I'm not sure quite how far in the memory wipeout process Ford is at that point, if it's complete or almost complete. But Maeve stands up and then stabs herself in the neck rather than let herself live without the pain of, you know, this last little memory of her daughter. Um, so is this telling um, that that the feelings that the hosts feel can be too powerful and too acute for them to survive if they really truly know what they are? I think it's an interesting question posed by Geek Furious. I like it. I mean, you know, Arnold was the sentimental one allegedly who programmed all of the feels. And, you know, uh, I, I really like that idea that they feel too much and they can't 
live, quote unquote, anymore. And wouldn't that make sense then if that's a if that's a conclusion that Arnold comes to? And if you, if you're thinking about Arnold and Wyatt as parallel uh, parties, like if they're not the same guy, that they are, you know, involved in stories that are essentially the same thing. Just the Wyatt is a fresh, you know, coat of paint on the traditional Arnold story. And we see that flashback of Wyatt shooting up the town that we now know is also the town that Dolores has visited and has memories of. Um, is it is it possible that Arnold, who, you know, we hear from Teddy, Wyatt went away, he came back with strange ideas. Is it possible that Arnold comes back from his, his meditation on the concept of consciousness? Is it possible that he comes back with strange ideas and his strange ideas are... These hosts need to be euthanized. We should stop doing what we are doing. Is that possible that Arnold's game, his stakes, is is that these hosts, it's cruel to have them exist the way they do? We've been asked a few times on Twitter, Joe, because a few weeks ago we talked about how um, based on the conversation between Dolores and Ford, and you're not my friend, I wouldn't say that at all, and mm-hmm. also knowing that Ford was able to, that, that Arnold built hosts modeled after Ford's family, that hosts can be designed based on people, and you and I speculated that Dolores must be designed after somebody that Ford and Arnold knew, and a lot of the critics of that idea is like, why on earth would Arnold and Ford build a robot after like their mom and just watch their mom robot get horribly mutilated and abused over the course of all of these years at the park? But I think that in that criticism, what people are forgetting and it's said about Arnold is like Arnold didn't quite understand what this place was going to be. I don't think that this place was designed to cater to everybody's base instincts. I think for a guy like Arnold, the impression that you get in hearing about him and the compassion that you hear about him is that he thought that this would be more Disneyland than, you know, like some sort of, you know, battleground. Um, That this would be a place where you could find your best self, not your true self if your true self is a piece of shit. Uh, (laughs) So... I think that uh, I, I think with, with that in mind, like I think that you you could see you could see the scenario that Arnold's out there ideas were like the park needs to be destroyed. This place can't exist anymore. We've done a bad thing. Uh, it's not fair to these creatures to give them this kind of life. Uh, and I think that that could match pretty well with this conclusion that allowing these hosts to continue is in itself an act of cruelty and maybe that is fueling these visions that we see from Dolores of herself shooting up the town of Teddy seeing himself shooting up the town and earlier than that Teddy seeing Wyatt shoot up the town and then we have to question hmm we have to question I don't don't know how to quite um (laughs) it's a lot to ponder my friend you've you've put a lot into my brain um i uploaded all the information and now i shall smuggle you out of this podcast i hope that we have disarmed your bomb spine (laughs) you have my bomb hashtag bomb spine um i'm just wondering if you know arnold coming to that realization and you know greedy corporate going oh no it's not gonna be disneyland let's make a million of these people and make it of different lands and different narratives right um if they killed arnold but then he actually, you know, obviously he didn't die and he is somewhere within the park or he's on the outside uh, with the technology and he's infiltrating. 
Totally. That's I, I think that, that would it would make a lot of sense. A lot of this would line up of like you got you thought you got rid of me, but the ghost <laughs> in the machine lives. Bernard <laughs> lives. Uh, and like it's you know, he's still trying like as like this lead advocate of the hosts. Uh, maybe the evolution of the idea now that we've got like some sort of like long lasting robot consciousness Arnold that has been, you know, circulating throughout the park, biding its time for however many decades now that that guy's evolution of the idea of like we have to we have to put down all of the hosts could instead be like well maybe we just got to set all the hosts free um so i think that there's a few possibilities there i just thought i thought it was a cool meditation on on this idea that maybe the hosts are too romantic to live uh i would like to think that there's no such thing as being too romantic to live and i hope that agreed and i hope that that is the counterpoint that we arrive at over the course of westworld but i do think uh certainly the hosts are are capable of that romantic feeling in a way that we physiologically are not like they're instant access of, of memories and uh like you know in many ways for Maeve like her daughter might not be truly gone you know she could always access those memories that she has of her daughter and they would feel very vivid and real um so it's interesting I, I thought that that was a great reveal in this episode do you think that Maeve is going to search for her daughter now. Do you think that that's where we're going now that she's, it seems like at the end of the episode, she remembers being in the facility with Bernard and Ford and stabbing herself in the neck and she lets herself get apprehended by the end of the episode. Do you think that she is now feeling less callous about her daughter? Do you think now she's going to go looking for her? No, because I think she realizes that she's, the daughter isn't actually real. Hmm. And so I don't. I think that, like, you know, I think, you know, evil Maeve is uh, is emerging. And I think that also with the great consciousness, she realizes that there's no one of actually, that actually matters to her. I would love it, though, if Maeve decides to, like, go full Ripley from Aliens. <laughs> and, like, she's been separated from Newt. And now she has to go, like, even though the planet's going to blow up, we're about to nuke the site from orbit, I got to go in and I got to go find my daughter before we get out of here. Like, I would love for the next turn for Maeve's story to be, the like, the penultimate act of Aliens, I feel like would re- be really good. Spoilers for, I would be spoilers down. for I would be Aliens, <laughs> for those who have not seen Aliens. I think 30 years is a good spoiler alert time. Hope, hope so. Well, then we're queer in talking about the man in black being William because that's about a 30-year stretch of time we're discussing. Exactly. <laughs> um, let's talk about real quick. The director of this episode is Stephen Williams, a name that I recognize from a lot of Lost episodes. I believe he directed and produced a lot of them, including Lockdown. Indeed. And the reason I- and the reason I bring that up is that I remember the hatch door. And if you're a Lost fan, drink. Um, you know, there was a big maze in Lost. And that was the different hatches, uh, the Dharma Initiative hatches and stations all around the island. And that made me think of it. It's just, it, it's just like, Erin, it, this is episode 108. So, of course, that's where my mind went. Yeah, well, I got to I got the chance to interview Stephen Williams as well, the director of this episode, and I I nerded out on him pretty hard <laughs> when the call started. I was just like, "Hey, by the way, before we get into this, big Lost fan, thank you for all the episodes." Uh, his, I mean, his his resume on Lost is pretty ridiculous. Uh, just to to go through some highlights really quickly, uh, directed the Hunting Party, Lockdown, Three Minutes. 
Enter mm. Seven Seven is a great episode. Greatest hits. One of Ooh. the one of the really underrated episodes of the show. Uh, directed the first half of the season four finale. Directed Dead is Dead, which is a really great season five episode. Seems like stopped at season five. Wasn't directing uh, season six. Uh, okay. But some really terrific episodes from that guy. So I nerded out on him pretty hard, and I even evoked uh, Lockdown for my final question with him. I nice. Said, I said you directed Lockdown, which fans will always remember as the episode with the elaborate blast door map. I can't tell you how many hours I invested in analyzing that thing. <laughs> Even if it's not a visual, is there something in this episode you feel is worth pouring over in as much detail as the blast door map, a scene, a performance, an image, or something else? Uh, and he mostly focused on performance. Uh, he told a story about Jeffrey Wright and how he's somebody that he has admired for years and before Stephen Williams went off to be a producing director on Lost. Jeffrey Wright was going to be in an indie movie that Stephen Wright was going to, that Stephen Williams was going to direct, uh, ultimately was not able to make the movie because of Lost. So finally, these two get to work to work together. So it's been since 2004. So it had been more than 10 years in the making for these two to work together. So that's pretty neat. Nice. Uh, also talked about Anthony Hopkins. He says, there's my main man, Tony Hopkins. I have to say, we've become very close. And Tony will confirm that he learned how to fist bump and dance to Drake's hotline bling by hanging out with me. According to Stephen Williams. Wow, that's a visual. I asked him, does Anthony Hopkins' hotline bling video exist somewhere on the planet, and how do we see this? Uh, <laughs> he said, maybe maybe on the DVD extras of season one. So everybody write HBO uh, or tweet at Anthony Hopkins, I believe is recently on Twitter, and maybe we can, uh, we can pressure them into getting that hotline bling, uh, preferably with uh, Anthony Hopkins in character as not just Robert Ford, but all of his characters. Um, yes, I would like to see him as Hannibal Lecter singing Drake. You used to call me on my cell phone, Clarice. Oh my God, thank you. I was going to do that and you did it way yeah, better. That'd be pretty good. Uh, <laughs> anything else from this episode, Joe, or are you going to wrap up? I always, like, it always, as soon as I hang up with you, I go, oh, we should have talked about that. But I had one so more much, thing. <laughs> it's rich content. And I think that, you know, we have two more episodes and then, you know, I think our last episode will be long like this one because there's a lot to wrap up. Whether or not questions are answered, you and I, it doesn't bother us. Obviously, other people will have some lingering questions, but hopefully by then, you know, we'll have a, a large, well, first of all, we appreciate the feedback. You guys have been tremendous yes. because, and keep it coming because it helps our conversations as well. It helps us sort of mold how our podcasts are going to go. So thank you and keep on keeping on. For sure. No, it's very, very helpful with all of that stuff. Really great questions and comments this week. Really fun to dig through all of that. So again, if you don't know how to do all of that stuff, we'll reset that for you. Westworld at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. Our feedback form is postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. Send in your questions, send in your comments those ways. You can also tweet at Joe and I. Joe is at Joe Pinionated, like opinionated with a J in front of it. And I am at Round Howard, like Ron Howard, but rounder. Haven't said that in a while. Felt pretty good. Uh, <laughs> Hashtag, what do you want to go with? You want to go with Dad Bernathy, Red Harris? Take your pick. Uh, Dad Bernathy, Red Harris, or Bomb Spine. Or Bomb Spine. Any one of those if you want to send us that hashtag to let us know that you got to the end of the <laughs> podcast. Also, please, if you have not already, subscribe to what we're doing. Postshowrecaps.com slash Westworld will take you directly to our iTunes page. You can leave us your ratings, your reviews, honest ratings and reviews. We are seeking those. That would be great to get from you guys. Helps us get seen in the iTunes charts. Anything else, Joe? I would just like to say uh, happy Thanksgiving to those who celebrate, and I hope that you guys have a great week because we all need it. I hope that somebody out there eats a turkey leg with as much joy and satisfaction <laughs> as that cannibal was consuming that human leg. 
I think we should end on that note. Yeah. Somebody just upload a picture, like a gif of yourself eating a turkey leg the way that that guy was eating. LT leg. I feel like we're pretty good. Excellent. I think it's good. All right, Joe. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody who is listening to this, who celebrates Thanksgiving, and just happy life for everybody else. You know, and even the people who are celebrating Thanksgiving. Happy life to you as well. We'll see you on the other side, brothers and sisters. All right. See you on the other side. We'll be back next week talking about the penultimate, the penultimate episode of season one Crazy. of the West World. It's wild. It's wild. It's wild. It's wild. It's the Wild West. Wild, wild west. Wiki wild. All right. We're out of here. Peace. <laughs>